Thank you for joining us for Dwelling Place Lithia Podcast. We hope this message will help you find your identity in Christ and create growth in your life. We hope you enjoy this message. When everybody has it, say amen. Amen. Okay. So, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit. See, trying to be a disciple of Jesus and not having his spirit is going to make things really hard for you. It's going to be almost impossible to do the commands he told you to do. Because everything in your flesh and your body does not want you to deny yourself and go focus on other people. Unless it benefits you. And the Holy Spirit is, is fundamental to your walk in Christ. And it is instrumental. But he's not just an instrument. So he's, he's not like a, a move. He does that. He's not like a chill. He'll give you those. But he is God Almighty. And John chapter 118, you don't have to turn to it, says no one has seen God. And you may say, how can that be? Because we have Jesus and Moses spoke to God face to face. Jesus was the image of God who is a spirit. He was a tangible image. Hebrew says he was the exact imprint of his nature. So God gave us something that we could look at and follow and copy and imitate and bow down to and worship. Other than idols, we could actually do it to God who came in the flesh to help us. But once we do that, and once we start to understand who he really is in the flesh, the same spirit that rested on him now has his targets on you because now you, lo- you look like him and you look like a vessel he can, in- he can dwell in. So that's the next step. Exodus chapter 33. I'm sorry, my voice is shaky. but uh, Exodus chapter 33, verse 11. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Now, I, I, I mentioned, you know, no one has, Bible says no one has seen God. But I remember Jesus was telling the woman at the well, you know, the Jews worship what we know. You worship what you don't know, for God is spirit. And God is looking for worshipers who can worship in spirit and in truth. But I bring up this passage not to tell you that you need to pray until you see God face to face. And if you do and you really see his face and you come back and tell me, I'm not going to lie, I'm going to doubt a little bit. (laughs) Because I think we all can agree Moses is like very special. Um, But, you know, if you tell me you have some encounter with a bright light, you know, something that's disembodied, doesn't really have a form, I'm more willing to believe that because I know God is spirit. Uh, and I know, like, Jesus is saving, you know, himself for, he's the bridegroom, so the whole excitement is we get to see him when we leave, and we finally get to lay our eyes on him. So if he shows you now, I'm kind of like, mm, I don't know, because that's, that's half the excitement, you know. <laughs> but but um, I, I bring up this passage not to tell you to try to find to try to pray until you see God's face. There's a simpler truth in this that the Lord showed me one day, and um, I'll give a testimony of it. So I was, I spent a lot of time around some very prophetic people, and I've seen some crazy stuff, and there's some stuff I don't know if I ever share, (laughs) because it was kind of scary. But um, 
I remember asking these people, like, how do I hear God like you hear God? And how do I know things like you know things? Because I would see them look at somebody that just walked into church and tell them they're going through a divorce and all this stuff, and they've never met him in the life. The person breaks down crying, they repent and give their life to the Lord. Like, I think our church could use some of that. Like, no, you know, that would be so awesome. But um, I, I would ask them all the time, and it was so frustrating because they were very mysterious about it, and they would never answer me directly. What they would always do is they'd pivot, and they'd tell me, okay, so you go to prayer, and then you find his presence in prayer, and then you stay in it as long as possible, and you do that over and over and over. And every time I asked them, the answer never changed. <laughs> so it was frustrating because I know there's probably some people, some people here who's gone into prayer and you don't hear anything, you don't feel anything, and you get distracted after 10 minutes and you get up and you stop. You know, but these people weren't like that. They were different. And so I'm not going to tell you anything different than they told me. So when I look at Joshua, he was Moses' assistant. He probably went Moses everywhere, but... The exception was when Moses went to the tent of meeting to see God and Moses left, Joshua didn't leave. He stayed in the tent. And, you know, I would ask you, why do you think that is? And it's because he valued the presence of the Lord. Like, I'm sure Moses was very important to him, like probably as close as you could get to somebody without being God directly. But he knew who was more important than Moses. And he stayed in that tent. And I'm sure all the plans that he had for the rest of that day were canceled. <laughs> and I think we have to be a people like Joshua. We have to be a people that we have to like, we have to fight for the presence of God. We have to find it. And if we don't, we can't be okay with that. We have to look for it. We have to, if something's wrong, we got to pray, God, am I, am I in sin? And I don't know it. Am I, you know, kind of like Jeremy's saying, like if you can grieve the Holy Spirit and he can leave you alone for a few days and it's going to not be comfortable because you're going to feel dead inside. So this is something you need to chase. You have to cultivate, you have to care about, and it has to be, that's like your work with God. That's what you have to do. And so that's kind of why I bring that passage up is, you know, you really have to value that presence. Um, Exodus chapter 33, verses 13 through 16. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, this is the Lord speaking, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight? I and your people. Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other nation and people on the face of the earth? So Moses is making a distinction here between you know, God's people and everybody else. And from Moses's perspective, the only thing that's making them different is the Lord being physically present with him. And if the Lord isn't physically present with them, he doesn't even want to continue anymore. It's not even worth it to him. And I bring this up because I know we're not exactly under the old covenant. We're under the new covenant. There's some things that have changed, but a lot of the principles underneath it stay the same. So I believe you can hear the testimony, testimony of Jesus. You can believe, you can repent of your sins, and you can be saved. But I believe you can do that apart from what we call, quote-unquote, filled with the Holy Spirit or baptized with the Holy Spirit. And there's so many theological standpoints on that and Scripture to back it up, and I'm not here to give you my opinion on that. I really, I'm just trying to get to the heart of the matter. 
that there's a distinction. And so I ask you, have you ever been to a church where it's fine, but during worship and during the message and you're talking to the people and you just kind of feel like something's missing, like you can just tell it's not really sold out for God. And like, say you have a friend who's Christian and you talk to him and they'll quote scripture to you all day long, but like they still drink and they don't really see an issue with it. And and you, you almost wonder, you're like, how come the spirit that's in you, like you don't feel bad when you do that stuff? Because if I do that stuff, I feel bad. And, you know, I know the spirit has to be around them a little bit because for them to even come near to Christ, he's got to be involved. But that intimacy can come in different degrees. And I think we really need to be a people that tries to get as intimate with God as possible because if you don't, there's going to be some things you don't understand and there's going to be some things he's grieved about which he will never tell you because you don't give him time to get close to you. Um, this is an important scripture. Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. And you guys can, I'll give you time to turn to that one. And when you have it, just say amen. Jeremiah Chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. Mm -hmm. Okay, everybody ready? Okay, good to go. All right. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor, and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. So this prophecy is talking about Jesus. It's prophesying about Jesus. But there's a part in it I want to zero in on. God says, the days are coming when no one will teach his neighbor or his brother, saying, know the Lord, for from the least of them to the greatest, they shall all know me. Now, I don't think God literally means nobody will share any information about me ever. I really don't think that's what he means. What I think is God's making a difference between knowing information about a person and then knowing the person. For an example, like you can Google a celebrity, you can see their birthday, autobiography, books they've written, quotes, but like you don't have them as a contact in your phone, you can call and see how they're doing. Like there's, there's two different things. And I think what this is saying is you kind of have to keep in mind too the context, like at this time, the the general people's relationship with God was shepherded by like priests and prophets. So like they were kind of in charge with your relationship with God. Like people still prayed, but if you wanted to seek God on a situation, you would go see the seer or the prophet and you would say, what does the Lord say about this? And if he had something to say, the Lord says this. Like it, he was all in, they, uh, other people were in between you and God, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but God makes it clear in this that he's he's done with that. He wants closeness with everybody. He wants his spirit with everybody, not just a few exalted people, everyone from the least till the greatest, the deaf, dumb, and blind shall know me. The, the presidents, the, the preachers, the prophets, they'll know me like everybody. And 
I think it's funny. He uses, <laughs> he uses the phrase here, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband. It's, there's a lot of times in Scripture where God will look at his relationship with people from almost like a romantic angle. Uh, you know, Jesus, the wedding feast, the bridegroom and the bride. You know, there's, there's all sorts of stuff. But just to look at this from a funnier perspective, um, for my fellows in here, have you ever had a, a point in your life where uh, uh, a woman was leading you on and you were talking to her and then all of a sudden out of nowhere, she pulls the whole, uh, I think we should just be friends card. She friend zones you. So I'm not too proud to admit that that's happened to me before. <laughs> but I'm kind of grateful for it because it caused me to wise up, but it also caused me to reflect on like how I treat God. So there were times in my life where I liked to keep God close enough to where I could receive and I could take, but just far back enough to where I didn't have to give anything. Like I still wanted him around. I wanted him to be my friend, but I didn't have fear of him. I only, you know, only cleaned up my act a little, my act a little bit. Like there, that's what I'm saying. There's degrees of intimacy with God. And if you kind of keep him on the fringes, I don't think he's going to forsake you to hell, but he's going to severely limit what you see in your life. And you may lose your faith altogether because you're not seeing any power. So there's a, there's a danger in that, you know. Um, Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 through 27. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and be careful to obey my rules. See, Christianity is not a confession of a person's story only. It's a confession of that person's story, and then it's a subjugation of yourself to that person's spirit. There's another step, and that's like the whole sanctification process. You can't ignore it. You, it the Bible also says the Holy Spirit is the guarantor of your inheritance. Like, he's the one that checks you if you're good to go or not. You need to, like, get to know him. Um, Numbers chapter 11, verses 16 through 17. Then the Lord said to Moses... Gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them to the tent of meeting and let them take their stand there with you. And I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you so that you may not bear it yourself alone. Now, when you guys hear that, does any parallels with the church kind of pop up in your mind? Like, I see two things here. I see one that the Lord's people is not just a congregation of people that serve the Lord. It's a congregation of people that serve the Lord and have his spirit. And the second thing is, you will not be able to burden, bear the burden of the people without his spirit. See, things like, you know, food pantry, even though it's not as often, um, things where you're not fulfilling your own passions and desires, you're taking time out of your day. Usually when you serve somebody, it's going to feel inconvenient and it's going to hurt. Without his spirit, you're going to give up on that stuff. And you're never really going to lower yourself. You're not going to be able to bear the burden of a servant, which is who a minister is, without his spirit. Because your, your flesh is just not going to have it. Um, Numbers chapter 11, verses 25 through 29. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him, and took some of the spirit that was on him, and put it on the seventy elders. And as soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they did not continue doing it. 
Now two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other named Madad, and the spirit rested on them. They were among those registered, but they had not gone out to the tent, and so they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Madad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth, said, My Lord Moses, stop them. But Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Now, I don't want you to get caught up with, with being a prophet. That's not the point of this passage. But back then, prophets were close with God. That's what people went to them for, because they knew God. What Moses is saying is, you don't understand the whole plan. It's for, it's for him to be with you like he's with me. That's the whole plan. So God's promises, intentions, and prophecies are not for you to outsource your relationship with the Holy Spirit to your pastor or another prophet or a spiritual leader, a man of God or a husband or a wife or a brother or sister or mother or father. God does not want to have to get through you to your spiritual leaders. Now, those things are good because they keep you grounded and they keep you accountable. For example, if you have a stupid idea and you say, hey, listen to my stupid idea, and they say, wow, that's dumb, don't do that. That's godly counsel. You know, that's a good thing. It keeps you from making mistakes. And if you do, they can kind of cover you for that. But at the end of the day, you're going to have to stand in front of him. And if the Lord tarries, you know, which that might be, to, <laughs> that might be tomorrow because the way the world's looking like, you know, I wouldn't be surprised. But, you know, eventually one day you're going to die and you're going to have to face him. And your pastor, nobody else can stand in between you and him. So you may as well get to know him, like, while he may be found. Uh, because when night comes, no man can work. I'm going to read Luke chapter 14, verses 16 through 24. But he said to him, and this is Jesus giving a parable, just to give you some context. But he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and still there is room. Go out to the highways and hedges and compel the people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, None of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Now, there's two ways you could look at this parable. The first way is kind of an easier way. And the more I read this parable, I start to think it's just a cop-out answer. But, you know, you would just say, oh, well, Jesus is talking about the end of the age. You know, when he comes back, all those who believe in him, they'll go to heaven. And then everybody who doesn't, doesn't want relationship with him, they'll go to hell. And I... I don't know. The more I read this, I feel like this is the impact of this is a lot more immediate than the end of the age. 
I think I would even argue that the servant who was sent out in this parable is the Holy Spirit because the, the king's already sent the invitation out. He put his son on the cross. Like the invitation's been sent out and his servant is going, looking for those who can worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And um, so if I were to apply this in a more immediate fashion, I kind of want to talk about prayer for a moment. See, when you, you know, as you kind of get closer to God, you'll start to realize the relationship with him is, is almost can be like a cat and mouse sometimes. Like sometimes he hides, sometimes he doesn't. There's, there's times where you're going to go to seek him, and there's times where he, he will go and seek you. Both are good. One is way easier than the other. <laughs> so <laughs> when you go to seek God, you know, and, and I'm sure this might resonate with some people, you know, you, you go to wherever you pray, you get on your knees, and you, you start praying, and then your prayer leads to a thought, and then your thought leads to another thought, and then that thought leads to another thought, and all of a sudden it's been 10 minutes, you forgot you were supposed to be praying, and so you start again. And then that prayer leads to a thought, and then that thought leads to another thought. And just the process kind of repeats for about an hour. And then you get up and you're like, okay, well, I prayed for an hour. And it's like, okay, yeah, and that's good. There's value in that. Um, but did you find him? Like, there's a difference between praying to God and fellowshipping with him. Like, did you find him? And a lot of these prophetic people I were around, they would get up at 3 a.m., pray the whole morning, go to work, and then, you know, come come to church, do a whole church service with praying. And it's just like it, their lifestyle, I tried to imitate it and I can only do half of it. But what I can tell you is around those people, I saw some crazy stuff like you would see in the scripture. And so I would challenge you that if you can really deny your flesh and fight it off, that there's countless testimonies of God professing what he wants to do with his body. Like it's not, it, it's not like if, and, or maybe. There's all the gospels profess it, every command Jesus gave. There's so many stories in the Old Testament that show how God's spirit is gonna use people to do things. It's just, if, if you're willing to put in the work, not to be saved, but to know him, I would, I would argue that you're going to see some things. Now, the other way, to find the Lord is when he seeks you. And this is so much better. <laughs> so, it, for, and he, he's funny because he likes to do it at like the most inconvenient times. So you could be like watching a movie and you're not, you're like halfway through the movie, it's nine o'clock. You don't go to sleep till like 11 and that's when you normally pray. And I've done this before. <laughs> so, and you kind of feel that, that touch of like, that like, like holiness, that like glory just a little bit kind of rushes through and you're like, oh, hello Lord. And right there you have a decision. You can stop exactly like everything you're doing and you can go pray. and It's going to be so much better. Or you can postpone him till 11. And then when you go to find him, he's not there anymore. So when he sends the servant, if you can, you might want to answer the call because you don't know if you'll find that presence for the rest of the week after he visits you that one time. The last verse I'm going to say, and you can turn to it because this one's pretty important. It's Revelation chapter 3, verses 20 through 22. And say amen when you have it. Okay. Revelation chapter 3, verses 20 through 22. All right. 
Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Father in heaven. We hope you enjoyed this message. If so, please share it. If you'd like to partner with us, you can do so at dwellingplacelithia.org forward slash donate. We'll see you next week and may God bless you and your family.